Hi, welcome to this first episode of a series of podcasts on level design. I am Mark Drew and I'll be talking to a range of awesome designers delving into the mysteries of the craft. This episode contains a recording of the Level Design Mysteries panel at EGX Res 2019. I hope you enjoy the show. So shall we kick it off? All right, awesome. Thank you. Thank you all for coming. My name is Mark Drew. I run a company called Command Studio. And I thought I'd put this level design panel with experts from across the industry to delight and entertain you on the mysteries of level design. Um, I'll let them introduce uh, themselves. So maybe start with you, Rob. Thank you. Hello, I'm Rob McLaughlin. I'm currently lead designer at the Chinese Room. Before that, I ran an indie studio and also worked at Creative Assembly and Climax. I worked on games like uh, Silent Hill Origins, Silent Hill Shatter Memories, and even the Legacy of Kane reboot, which none of you ever saw because it got cancelled. Anyway, I'll pass you on. Hey, I'm uh, Steve Lee. I was in AAA for ages, like 10 years. I was a level designer on uh, Dishonored 2 and Bioshock Infinite, and I've been freelance for the last couple of years. I'm currently like level designer on Bethel Games' next thing, which is very secret and announced. Yeah, that's it. Hi, uh, I'm Claire Morley. I'm uh, part of Freefold Games, which is um, a tiny indie company, and we're making a game called Before I Forget, which is a narrative exploration first-person game about a woman with dementia. And I've been making games, uh, I don't know, in my spare time for, I guess, a decade or so. I actually have a degree in geology, so I didn't like come into games from a traditional background. Um, but I've been doing it more full-time as of this year, which is very exciting. Hi, uh, I'm Jonathan. I'm currently lead designer at Park Money Games. Um, I've been there for about eight months now. Before that, I worked at a company called Coatsync, uh, where I got to work on a whole foray of different games, different genres. Uh, so we'd go from like Shu, Augmented Empire, TSN puzzle games, to more recently looking into more first-person kind of console-based games as well. Thank you very much. Um, so how we're going to be doing this is the beginning, we're going to ask some, um, I have some questions ready to surprise and hopefully delight uh, the audience, but you can also join in. So instead of just shouting your questions like an unruly mob, you can actually go to sli.do and put in hashtag LDRes19 and start putting questions. And if you see some questions in there, you can upvote them. And at the, at, after a few minutes, when we run out of steam on this side, I'll start reading your questions if we have time. Um, how does that sound? Sound good? You all good? Awesome. So one of the first things that I'd actually like each panelist to give me their opinion on um, is what is level design? Because I think people come from different areas to kind of define it slightly differently, uh, depending on the size of company, depending on the type of project. So what are each of your thoughts on it? Do you let us know, Jonathan. Do you want to kick it off? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, so I guess for me, I've worked on a lot of different types of games, lots of different types of genres, and like level design is that it's that one term. And we talked about ter terminology before the panel. And for me, like level design is putting together that moment-to-moment -moment gameplay experience. So that means identifying your mechanics, getting all your tools, um, and collaborating with your team as well. Um, but as you construct as construct your levels, you'll kind of go over and through hopefully multiple iterations. And I've always found it changes from like platform, uh, the platforms I've worked on and within those genres as well. So a level on a 2D platformer is usually for me, it's about level flow and actually making sure that jumps just right and you're not getting stuck, you're not getting lost. 
Um, and then outside of that, you also have puzzle design can fall into level design because you've got to dress up your puzzle and you've got to make sure you actually understand how to do it. And it's a very varied, uh, broad term. And I think it's a hard to lock down. Um, yeah, for me, I think probably partly because of the size of our team, um, it's hard to sort of like ha isolate level design. Um, so for me, it's more just sort of a way, it's the design around sort of guiding the player through the experience of the game, and that can include um, a lot of different things. I suppose with level design in particular, it's sort of designing, constructing the space and thinking about um, as the player moves through it, what is it that they're going to be focusing on and how does that, um, how does that sort of like, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> uh, sort of dictate the emotions they're going through and the sort of overall experience that they're having. Um, from yeah, from moment to moment, I think. Uh, let me think. So for me, my main journey through level design has been like going, starting off with like Doom and like first-person shooters, um, and you know, where it's basically like a, the design of like 3D space and then putting enemies in it and like, weapons and stuff like that and trying to create interesting. As kind of newer games came out and I got into the industry, it's moved towards things like Half-Life 2 and and then Dishonored, where it's like. It's, it's all kinds of stuff. It's a combination of like 3D level design and architecture and stuff, but also you kind of let things branch based on different things the player does without you going crazy and getting out of control. Um, so in a weird way, it's gone from like, coming from a modding into like AAA where it's like, I'm still, in a game like Dishonored as a level designer, you're still thinking about gameplay and narrative and architecture and all these things, but you're also working with specialists like artists and writers. And about, all kinds of stuff and how it all fits together. And to me, that's, that's a big part of what level design is. It's, it's not making the stuff necessarily, but it's using all the bits and, and composing them in an interesting way. But it's a kind of intended experience. Uh, yeah, similarly to what uh, Steve's, because a level was a, a level. It was just a, a single file in its own that had a 3D world in it, which you would organize for the benefit of your players to have a fun time. Uh, I think level design is always sort of face between the, play, the player and the game. It's so level designer's responsibility is unique um, design and systems design, and they are the person that communicates most strongly with the player. So I'd say, yeah, we are. As level designers, we have definitely... Than everybody else, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Good, well, I'm glad we agree. Um, I'm known for hate, my hate of corridors. I did a whole presentation about it. I would it. never know that. <laughs> At a whole presentation, Hideo Kojima's Silent Hills PT game, Two Corridors. Your opinions? It Good, was scary. <laughs> it was a little scary. I think, yeah, I've, I've not played it, but I've watched stuff about it. Mm -hmm. I think it's, yeah, I think it's really clever and just the amount of thought that would have to go into every single just tiny detail in that space, I think, um, to create that kind of experience. I think it's amazing, <laughs> personally. Yeah. Being just a bunch of corridors and stuff, I think what's, what's interesting about it in the context of like what Hideo Kojima does and what horror is about is like, it's, it's not about how complex it is, but it's about how much you're playing with expectations and what's going through the player's mind as they're kind of, uh, you know, playing the game. So it's like a lot to play with where like, you know, it being very linear gives you certain expectations that you can kind of subvert with weird horror stuff like in, in something like PT. So it's, yeah, it's kind of interesting to me that it is kind of, a sense of inevitability and, and like say just like knowing that something has to happen when you when you walk down this corridor that's part of the horror thing i think absolutely you're, you're aware it's a horror game because you've heard all about it that similar to what we might have in our own homes 
So to then bring horror into that is, I think it's something that horror has tried to do over the years many, many times, is to say, uh, here's something familiar, subvert and terrify them. So then they go away from the game thinking, this could happen in my corridor and I walk upstairs to bed now. I think it was being a, with it being such a small space, like you said, being those two corridors, it allows you to form. So if you're building a massive game, you start to kind of reduce the amount of effort you can put in select areas. So what they did with PT, despite it not being a fully released game or anything like that, they were able to pick up all these really good bits and add the detail to give you, because all you did, that's what you have to find in order to actually complete it. it like it, you, There was articles posted on how did they actually complete it, yet it was just a loop. Yeah, and, and it was a number of loops with, with stuff in Swedish at some point. No spoilers, I'm sorry. Um, but it's like the horror there's a lot of collaboration between what a specific level designer does and other departments. Could you, what has your experience been with that? So sound design. So when you like, for me anywhere, and I think it'll be similar for a lot of people. You'll start with the at least the high level idea of what the level is or where it fits into the overarching picture of the game. And if you've got a story, that's when this collaboration starts to come over, where you go into the artist. But you'll always start with a. 2D layout, or you'll start with a sketch, your shape, level, floor, kind of your scale, usually locked down, and like you've got the gameplay, you've got an environment you can run around in, but something can be lost in translation if the community is too art, too art, that narrative beat's going to be missed. The gameplay that you intended to happen in this level could be lost if suddenly the door that was highlighted or something specifically by this light you put in a level is now behind a pillar or something because there's this new art piece that's gone in that you weren't actually aware of. Yeah, I think also with people, I don't know, people from different, um, to do different things within games have all spent their careers and um, that do different things will just be able to bring so many different ideas when you're creating ideas for your game and for your level. Um, so we started working with design issues with like, oh, we really want a player to sort of like go this way rather than this way, um, but we're not sure sort of how to make that happen. And then he was instantly like, oh, well, you could do this with sound. And we're like, oh, yeah, we could do that. Um, but I don't know, yeah, I think it's just something more. As different backgrounds come together, you're just going to make... Um, I mean, I think it's always good to sort of like collaborate and talk to just as many different people as possible. Uh, yeah, on, um, on, on the game like Dishonored 2, a lot of the lovely different element, like in, just in a typical part of Dishonored where maybe you walk around a corner and you overhear a conversation and there might be a narrative scene playing in front of you. Um, just that alone already, in, and also the animation, which in Dishonored 2 is mo-capped, which involves all kinds of stuff. Uh, so like, basically, that, that one, one way of looking at it is that at every stage of those, if one of those things doesn't see them, it, it kind of breaks things. If, you know, if the layout isn't right, then you could get spotted before it's on for ages and the player's stuck there watching it for ages. And uh, like, even with the mo-capped animation, if, if if somebody, if in the animation studio, somebody is, the actor has turned around a lot while they mocap the acting, then in friendly. It's on a two, that means the NPCs are looking around all the time and they can spot you. And uh, that can be like, kind of like clashing and, and like everything's actually going to work together. So there's those fidgety actors that, something that died all the time. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much like, because it's, yeah, like saying it, in Dishonored 1, the animation for those scenes wouldn't have been mocapped. But in two it was, and so literally the, the, the whims of an actor in a mocap studio had gameplay implications. Because, the, you know, like say, they could suddenly turn see you if, if, they happen to be, if you happen to be in their way. And often you're trying to sneak up on people, so if they suddenly turn around, it seems really unfair. 
And so, yeah, it's, there's a lot of running around just making sure that nobody's different politely screaming at people. Politely screaming. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a process that goes on throughout the, throughout the whole development of the game. Uh, you will continue to talk, ideally, with environment design, with sound design, um, and even music and everything you have as a level designer is fully understood by everyone who's, who's working with you. And that is, that can be a challenge and it, it's part of the level designer's responsibility to, and, uh, uh, to have a, an understanding of things like composition design that from the grey box stage onwards, um, you're not at the level in a very rough, rough way. Right from that stage, the storing up problems that art is going to be able to find it difficult to um, different ways going back and forth with art and everyone and also talking with code about how you can create the systems that um, are required for your level uh, it's just a continuing conversation that's going back and forth yeah generally making games i think it's really valuable as well to talk to people who aren't game developers and just like from all sorts of disciplines um, and also get kids to play your game because kids have the best ideas and they'll just think of things that you've never even thought of. Mm. <laughs> Next time I'm doing a PT copy, I'll think of that. <laughs> um, so, so leading on from that, what advice would you give so, to, to people that are starting out in level design or want to get into level design? I mean, it is it is, but what advice would you give someone that's just starting out? Um, so I actually uh, said this to someone on Twitter recently, and I don't want to seem like controversial or anything, but I, I would say like one challenge, that's no, not controversial, it was all level editors for, like say first person shooters like Doom and Quake and Half-Life 2 and all this kind of stuff, and you know, the, that wave of the biggest games all released this the scene's very different, and it's all about—it's mostly about Unity and Unreal, which which aren't level design tools. They're, they're like blank canvas uh, game engines for teams, usually to make like is to is to avoid falling into the trap of making trying, thinking you need to make an, an entire game if you want to be a level designer. Because if you try and make an entire game, you, you're going to be spending like 20% like of your time on the level design, and uh, and also like the quality of your level design is going to be held back by the quality of your game that you've just tried to knock together. And so like if you know, if you can, it, it's it's really important to remember that it's not all about Unreal and has all the content for it already that you can use. Then you can just only focus on the level design, and that's how you get good results. Yeah, if I got a if I got a portfolio with a thief level in it, that'd be brilliant. I mean, to create a level for that is is a really brilliant thing to see. And even if it's not actually a physical level, you could just create on paper a level design to draw out what level this is a level I'd make if I could make a level in Uncharted. And everyone's very familiar with the gameplay, and you could uh, just create something like that. I think, yeah, so if you're starting out as a level designer, design courses or anything like that, but they're not focused on level design, and if that's the area you're, you're interested in, you're going to want to specialize. I think, like Steve said, like using map editors where you've got all the mechanics, you've got all the tool or the mission you actually want to do. Whereas if you do use Unity or Unreal, you've got to build all that stuff first. And that takes time, which means you're not spending as much time on the level design and the mechanics you're going to build. Like if you're not, if you don't know programming or you don't know code, um, or you're not a three D artist, they're not the building blocks you're actually going to have to assemble all this are not going to be as strong to work like this. But I can't get it to work like that. But in map editors, you get the you get the character controller already for you, and it just removes those barriers that stand in the way from actually building the level. Actually, yeah, I'd agree with that. And um, I guess on that sort of similar note of tools. Getting 
So Grips is sort of focusing on the core parts of what you want in a level. Um, there's like tiny tools, um, things like Bitsy, which is a lot um, adventure games in. And tools like, there's lots of other tools like that as well, like Twine and uh, things that have these limitations built in. And although they don't sort of like seem the core of what it is that you're trying to communicate to the player and just building something in a few minutes um, and then being able to play it through to sort of, um, yeah, get to. People who have an understanding of how to use Unity on, or Unreal, um, whether it's to see that you can use visual scripting or C Sharp or something like that, I think, think it's totally essential, but it shows it's you have to, um, to, have, to have this problem that Steve described of you know, needing to make the game for the level that you're trying to deliver to the people who are trying to job with. Uh, certainly as someone who does interview level design folio is uh, a theme to the level, um, a story to the level, and ideally some kind of mechanic in the level that you can introduce and then expand on. So that you can say, okay, I'm gonna say to the player in this level, you can teleport. How the player can gain power and knowledge of the game by uh, using this mechanic which you evolve over time. And uh, that's, I'd say that's the... Having, often like uh, a lot of level design is just, it's best judged in terms of like how clearly it delivers an, an idea or an experience and like, and, and kind of focus, that requires some degree of focus. Like, and um, I think that's, that's kind of the thing that ties these two things together in the sense that like, uh, I recommend focus on level design, not spend all your time, you know, coding and all this kind of stuff. But also, yeah, when it comes to choosing what your level, what kind of level design projects you're giving yourself, like keeping it, not trying to kind of so that you're not trying to make like half a game or, you know, an arch kind of come across clearly enough. If, if it's much better if you can just choose, if you just have one small project that's really good, basically and really clear, that's going to say a lot more about you as a designer than, than having like five projects that were too big and that basically helps you keep quality as the priority, basically, it's, it's like the important thing and, and a clarity of ideas. I guess one little thing to add to that is like a lot in portfolios and stuff, people get wrapped up in, oh, I need to be an artist as well. But if I'm going to hire a level designer, I kind of want to see the block out. Like I want to see the whole point of flow. Have you got cubes might not be super exciting. It's like if your gameplay is not fun in that environment, it's like, is it going to be fun when it looks super pretty with all the other effects and stuff like actually tagged on? Yeah, don't be fooled by the uh, level and then move a load of power into space. So it, it, it looks like a nice environment from one single position. Um, you know, there are games that would that would be suitable for, you know, like hidden object space that flows and uh, point-and-click adventures and things like that. But generally, yeah, you've got to think of it as an experience, right? Like yeah, rather, than, rather than something you just look at. It's funny, I saw you, like, in, just at the moment I thought of those speed-level design videos you find on YouTube, I saw you reach for the microphone, it's like, I've got to say this. <laughs> it's totally no, a thing. Those, yeah. yeah, it's totally a thing. that, and it, I feel like it's, it's kind of... Oh, I'm going to try and not turn this into confused with other disciplines. Like, there's a lot of people who just... And I, Absolutely nothing against environment art, but like there's a lot of environment artists who, uh, or, there's a lot to say this, but like um, there's a lot of overlap and a lot of kind of different opinions on what level design is, partly because it changes for every game, but also because like I think a lot of people just think of level design in terms of visual design when I'm, I'm very much biased towards the idea that it's all about the interactive player experience and like how do you level design 
there's loads of these videos where, like I say, somebody's just like frapsing a video of an editor viewport of them moving a load of meshes into something that looks like a picture, and it's like, that's not like... Being, being an environment artist and creating a thing is, is, is a wonderful thing to do, um, but don't be fooled that that is, that if you can do that, that that's what you're going to be doing day to day. Yeah, it's just, it's just trying to clarify a term rather than... I think they do them backwards as well, so you just put like a whole bunch of stuff, and then just and delete a little bit. What tricks or devices or patterns do you use to trick the, the, the player that, that maybe the player, they can't tell you, they'll under NDA. <laughs> I, suppose, um, I suppose like in, in, a, in a game like Half-Life, again going to back, I mean one of the, you're constantly tricking the player into thinking that there's more going on outside of the tunnel mm. that you've made. And I say tunnel in a totally non-judgmental way, I like linear games, but like, um, you know, you're scripting things that come and attack you or something, and, and you're trying to do it in a way that implies that, that that person was waiting for you the whole time, and there's a world outside of, around you that's, that's existing the whole time, when obviously, the, but then, um, but then kind of, you're, you're designing an, an awesome roller coaster ride where people kind of, you can, because the players can like bend time and teleport and stuff, so yeah. if you, you can't just fake things around corners because the player can just bend time and walk around the corner and see that there's nobody there. You're learning, learning curve to like, Realizing, like, oh, like a lot of that stuff I used to do in Half Life 2, you just can't do that in Dishonored because it will just, the, the player can just spend time and teleport to the other side of the level. Right. Not spawning everything from the get go in Dishonored, you're still setting things up so that stuff is only there when you need it. Right. And you, you, you're still creating an illusion, essentially, but like. But there's a lot of illusions in game design to change, to, to confuse a player, like on purpose in this game. But uh, do you want to talk a little bit about how you achieve that? Yeah. Um so the main bedroom and then the, uh, the character, Sunita, says that she needs to use the bathroom. Um, so basically your next goal in the game is to try and find where the bathroom is. And by this point in the game, you, um, so you might think you know where you're going, but then in that section of the game, every door that you open, it sends you back to um, a cupboard that you, you're like, oh, how come I'm time they think oh I must have gone the wrong way and then they sort of like do it again and they end up back in the same place and then they start to realize that oh actually I just well either they think um yeah I've just got complete that you are supposed to feel disoriented at that point um and we it took us a while to get to that design I think because we realized we wanted to we all this player so how do you do that so you just I don't know literally just send them back to somewhere that they weren't expecting to be I suppose right. um but it's a really difficult balance, I think, trying to confuse the player, but not to frustrate them. Because um, I think most of the time when you're designing levels, you're like they're in control and feel like they want to do. You really don't want to confuse people. You want them to sort of... That, that empowerment of the player, the, the, or yeah. know, the hero thing, but yeah. Yeah, so it's sort of, I, yeah, I haven't ever designed sort of horror, but I imagine it's sort of the same kind of thing in that. Um, I don't know if yeah. I think, um, I guess for me, it's like when you're putting that, it's like if you're putting secrets in your game or you're putting shortcuts, the shape of time or whatever, and you're putting them in, it's like when the player obviously finds them, it's great, and they feel like, oh, the, I found this, I found this little secret, no one comes across as we are trying to mask this and hide it from you. It is still thought about where it's going, why it's placed, and we talked about working for the departments. Usually you can't do that without working with art, because until you see the art, it's good. oh, I didn't know that could be used like this, and this is just giving me a new route through my actual 
we all know that gamers now like to 100% things. And it's like, if we hide them off the beaten track and it's like too hidden, you're just going to get shouted out on the internet forever. It's like, it's too hard, it doesn't exist, it's not there. You forgot to put a collectible in the game. And I've heard all this in the past, but there are always hints on those as well. And it is a design thing. It's designed and it's intended for you to forth it. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about was um, how when you're a level designer, you might be working on a game where you actually don't know what the gameplay is yet, games that already exist. So uh, to give an example, we, when we were making Silent Hill Shattered Memories, uh, that was a game of two halves in some ways because you had a, had a, complete, a, a whole section of level that was completely without threat, uh, where there were no enemies at all. And you would move through this uh, to these uh, level portions where there were enemies. Now, if I could step back to the, the previous, uh, the, the non-enemy sections, in those we used all the kind of level design tricks of lights in the distance, lines converging, and corridors that sort of... And so we'd, we'd give you a choice of going to, say, a shop or a, um, an alleyway. And the, once you did that, you were kind of locked into that choice, and that was how... In Shadow Memories, that was what it was all about. If I didn't feel familiar with it, but it was about trying to um, track the player's decisions and build up a psychological profile of the player. But with the enemy uh, sections, that was extremely challenging because the you didn't have any weapons. You just had to run towards the exit. So we would so make it so it wasn't entirely linear. And it was... It, I think it still divides opinion. I think a lot of people found them, even in the released version, still very frustrating uh, but so the they had very large they had sort of flowing loops that were intersecting so that you would throw flow through the level and you'd end up um, in sort of wrong way because you were trying to run away from from some enemies you'd come back to where you were and then you'd be facing the right way and make your way to the to the end um, so being a level designer is not is not having the rules that you need in place and you're having to make it up as you go, and that is it's very difficult, and it's the place where the game can... The tools aren't ready, and, and even the tool, often the tools aren't even designed. Like you don't know how the tools are going to work, because the systems designers are maybe still thinking about that stuff. So there's a lot of, like... A quick-fire question before I go to the audience questions. So if you want to put a question, now's the time, or I'll put a question. <coughs> but before I go to the audience questions is, quickly, what's the best... I always struggle with these, like, what's the best thing? Okay, just give me your top five. <laughs> there's, right? like, there's some, um, in there reverse was, order. There's one I played, um, Steam, and I think it came out three years ago or so, but it had that kind of similar, it's like one space that you sort of replay in a sort of Groundhog Day, I guess, okay. PT-ish style, but it's not a horror game at all. Um, and it's, it's just that same thing again of just the way that play through over and over again, but you can go to sort of different parts of it, and it's interesting how they just sort of designed it so that some bits you you can sort of see straight away and there's certain landmarks that you can kind of navigate by and where I am at all. I don't know, you sort of start initially feeling just like I have no idea narrative of it and you sort of like learn this space and I don't know, yeah, it ties in with the narrative a lot. Of, so, but it's very good and it's only a couple hours long. Time frame, so. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
playing uh, games like uh, the latest Hitman series and looking at the level design that kind of goes right. into that. And the first season of that was episodic. And I think it was really interesting in the, uh, I think the Paris episode, the amount of choices and options and approaches you get to those type of games, which stems back from like a love of like and stuff like DSX and having the multi-approach thing. But one thing they did really well in the original Hitman and an actual training mission, like it wasn't, you weren't in the real world, like you're in a warehouse that so they grounded it in the context of that. And it gives you all your tools. It gives you the tools of what you're going to need to set up for the rest of the game. And you kind of always start it out in the same way. But it's when you go for the multiple approach style, it's going to be like obviously a lot more work. <laughs> Revital, I just think um, IO have did a really good job of like kind of re one tutorial level to basically give you the structure and the beats. And I don't know if the talks are available, some diagrams and stuff. At GDC this year, it was kind of put out and they go through the whole process and the kind of session they did. Well. Shall we go? Do you have a, a favorite level you want to tell us? Yeah, I've got a favorite, like, uh, yeah, basically one of my favorite recent things is, um, sold it to me as like, this is the kind of game I want to work on. This is brilliant. Like, it was, it's, uh, it's in the first kind of real mission where you're, you're uh, kind of uh, approaching a target to assassinate them and um, drinks waiting on a table in a, in a room where they're about to have, he's about to have a meeting with somebody else. And this guy you're trying to assassinate is, has set up the poison drinks to, to kill the person he's about to talk to. And because you get there earlier, you can switch the drinks or you can mix them so that both of them die. It absolutely, like, it's, I realize like, the, the two things I'm, I'm, re I'm really into, like, uh, you know, g when gameplay and narrative are the same thing and, like, m really mesh together tightly. But also when, like, I, I love games that manage to pull off perfectly in terms of, like, options in a very non-linear way. Mm -hmm. And this just, like, just a set of choices that that kind of branch the narrative, but then also create all kinds of interesting games. And I was just like super impressed with it after that. And it was just like everything I like about level design. And they come up with an idea as good as that, and I couldn't, I was really upset. But uh, yeah, super cool. Like, I, I don't know, when you work on the game, you can only see all the, the things that weren't finished and all the things that you wish, would, you know. Can't switch off. It's like whatever you work on, you know the, you know what's behind the curtain, you know what's under the hole together, fine. But you know internally, it's like, but then you see them like get through it. Yeah, you play certain bits of the game and you just remember the meeting where that decision was made. It's like, oh, <laughs> stuff like that, and like, all that kind of thing. It's a very good interview question, this. So yeah, if you do go, Pick is the silent cartographer from Halo 1. Um, it's as a piece of world and environment design, it's, it's wonderful because you've got this circular island which you can run all the way around. You know that in the center of the island is way close towards the center of the island. And so you can, when you make the decision, you can, it gives you wonderful tools. It gives you the first, it's the first I think it's the first time you get the Jeep. I uh, can't even remember the proper name for the Jeep. Isn't it the first time? No, no, okay. I didn't go down to the bottom and all the way back up again. Uh, I used to just stand on the beach there looking at the sun through the trees and thinking, wow, I did all this, these amazing graphics on the Xbox One. Um, the fight, you're part of that battle. You feel like you're making a difference and you can kind of do whatever you want. Um, but at the same time, once everyone's dead, you can just wander around and do whatever you want. Uh, this question, uh, they've been voted up. This is your last chance. Uh, how do you address free space and activity space, like with puzzle games, the gaps between puzzles, or obstacles in a racing game or gauntlets? Uh, so kind of this is from that. Daniel. Okay. Um, so I'll kind of try and tackle that a little bit first. So I'll take puzzle games for an example. Um, so I, in my time at Quoting, uh, like I had, I, yeah, it was a series, um, 
another VR game which has a lot of puzzles based around uh, open spaces. And like one of the biggest things that you know where the puzzle is and usually the pieces are going to be dotted around this environment, but the solution space is always in one place. So they, you've got to make sure they can always reorientate themselves and find their way back. And like in your environment, uh, you need to make sure they are all, all, always can be reorientated. Um, so if I've got a space, say it's like a circle room, and the solution's at the center, it's like it's finding that block, like how do I get that? And you're, you're always going to go from point A to B. And it's usually a lot of backtracking, at least back to the solution point, because the solution point will be the point you need to progress. So it's kind of like once you, get, once you get back, and it's like, OK, I have the thing I need. But now you've still got to make sure. And if it's one room, like for instance, use PT as an example earlier. It's like if you keep it as a self-contained environment, you get to put a, a lot of extra work and detail into this, so the player shouldn't become lost or lose orientation. Um, here's a question. I think it's been designed. Oh, what techniques or tricks do you use to evaluate and analyze the level design? Might not be just for you. But. I hope it's for everyone. Um, I would say. What I'm trying to do when I'm pl playing now, I, I still like to try and play games as an escape, so I don't try to analyze them too much. And I try, try to play games as a, as a player who doesn't have to try and think about the, and which what is, can, can be quite frustrating is uh, the, the intention of the designer in terms of guiding me through the world. Uh, games are a lot of things in the world that mean, so you find yourself just playing, looking at the map and not even looking at the world and just watching your little man walk around. You might as well be playing a, you know, Pac-Man, exactly, or something like that. Um, I think that you should be, as a level designer, uh, and I know it's challenging, especially in a, a big open world game, is to always think about a glowing path to follow or some sort of mini-map or something like that. Um, that's, that's the kind of challenge to it, I guess. Yeah, to me, I have, like, the designers and the artists are having more fun than me with, with the game. Like, you, you're kind of going through a level and it's like, oh, look at all this cool stuff happening, look at these amazing animations. But my part in the experience is really looks like a movie of a cool thing happening, but I wasn't bothered about it at all, or, or I wasn't engaged in it, or, or that kind of thing. And I just feel like, yeah, to me, it, the, the job of the level designer is just thoughts about this. And, and I think it's especially, like, when you've got huge teams full of amazing artists and stuff and a lot of like um, resources to throw behind things, games can get lost in, and, and with smaller teams as well, to be honest, like games can get lost in just nice things on screen and that's not, I don't care about that stuff if it's not cool when I play it. And, and I think that's the level design, it's job always to be thinking about, yeah, what is the player actually feeling about this? Do we have time for one last question, whoever's organising it? Am I? Question, uh, maybe. All right, a quick one. This is. Uh, it's a really complicated question. Or orthogonal to your role in game creation? Um, so I've experimented a little bit with procedural generation, and I've actually researched into it. More levels, a lot more. Give ideally give you a lot more stages to a game at the end of the day. But without curation, um, it can become super frustrating. Um, and I don't think you'll have a style, um, whether it's kind of like how often it can appear, like you need to have curation to it, because pure randomness could result in a dead end. If you've not curated your tiles properly, you could get lost, the player could get stuck, um, or it might repeat the same thing. So for you, like that lack of curation, if it's just left to run at itself, like you're gonna get unplayable levels. Yeah, um, I think especially in big open world games like uh, uh, 
Bethesda games like Skyrim and things, and uh, even thinking about something like Grand Theft Auto, um, you rely someone else even who's a world designer, uh, but it's kind of all the same to you really if you're not making the world, uh, if it's an algorithm or a person. Uh, and then you are at bore skins and bring them back to Trader X. It's the ones where there is some sort of narrative, some sort of human drama that you're part of, uh, some sort of decision that is really difficult to honor. I'm sure that in the future, uh, procedural level design and procedural mission design and algorithms will become better and make, be able to make that kind of thing. Uh, but at the moment, I don't think it's possible. So we still have a job. Thank you. I think, yeah, you're right. It'll get better over time in line. And within level design, there is mission design as well. But depending on your studio, that, that is the role you're going to do. You might not be building the space because it's already an existing world, but you need that interesting thing to do. Appropriate for every game anyway. So there's always going to be games that just it's better to not use it. And then there'll be some games where it's better to use it. But I suppose if when you do use it, it's more that it will just change the role of the level design. If the system that procedurally generated something without having the design in it, then I don't think that would be a game that would really work. Maybe that's not true, I don't know. Um, but yeah, there is still like the design, level designer would be sort of, and the design aspect that needs to come into it, so it just is. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's <laughs> the key thing is that like, um, I, I don't see it as a threat because it's more, like say, procedural level design is only suited to make certain kinds of things and it's, you, you know, like you couldn't make uh, before I forget being a very handcrafted narrative game procedurally. Um, I think if anything's a threat, it's not the idea of procedural generation, but it's 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 more that I think what I don't know. Like how am I going to say this? I feel like to, to my hot YouTube is a, and Twitch is a bigger threat because the kind of things that are now popular because of things like that is not handcrafted single-player narrative level design that you can spoil in a YouTube video. And I feel like all of that side of games and distribution and stuff is actually putting pressure on games of the way games are played and sold and watched now is like is pushing all games towards like battle royale and like mm -hmm. procedural generation and stuff. That's a whole that's my, other. That's panel. my angry hot for your questions, so we can get all to them. That note, thank you everyone for for being part of this. Thank you for listening and please remember to subscribe to the podcast as we'll be releasing more great episodes soon. If you have any questions, why not email show at leveldesign.fm or you can contact me on Twitter on at Mark Drew. Thank you.